Welcome to the Under the Sea Baz podcast, a deep dive into global protest. In this episode, we travel to the country of Belarus. The Republic of Belarus is a landlocked country in Eastern Europe, nestled right in the middle of Ukraine, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, and most notably, Russia. Over 40% of its land is forested. It's home to one of the largest libraries in the world, and they have over 300 recipes with the main ingredient being potatoes. Take that, Ireland. Belarus, as we know it today, became an independent and sovereign country as recently as 1991 when it declared its independence after the fall of the Soviet Union. Since then, while other former Soviet republics have shied away from one-party control, Belarus has continued the adverse tradition of having one man in power forever. This man, considered by many Western journalists as Europe's last dictator, goes by the name of Alexander Lukashenko. And he is at the forefront as to why thousands of Belarusians in recent weeks are hitting the streets to protest. The summer of discontent in Belarus is heating up, with hundreds on the streets of the capital Minsk and several other cities clapping, chanting, demanding to be heard. Lukashenko has dismissed the protesters as criminal gangs, but critics say he's never faced unrest like this, and many here argue they are less afraid of detention than another five years of Lukashenko rule. Alright, so here's the backstory. In early June, cases of COVID-19 began to rapidly increase, creating a sense of panic in the country. After some initial stalling and the usual downplaying of the virus by your typical, I think I know more than scientists and health experts kind of brash political leader, Belarusian citizens took a major safety risk by hitting the streets to demand a much better governmental response to the virus. Especially since President Lukashenko kept dismissing the virus as a psychosis that can be cured with two shots of vodka and a trip to the sauna. And even though that medical assumption hasn't been disproven, hundreds were still very upset at the lack of preparation and governmental action for this pandemic that, at the time, had infected over 50,000 people and killing over 300 in Belarus. And at the time of this recording, in early August, it is now over 67,000 infected with over 500 deaths. Then, to make matters worse, on June 19th, now in the midst of election season, President Lukashenko announced that he had foiled a so-called coup attempt by arresting and detaining his main political rival, Viktor Barbayoko, on charges of bribery and corruption. Then, a month later, Lukashenko took his two closest political rivals, the prior-mentioned Barbayoko and former ambassador to the United States, Valery Sepkalo, and barred them from running for president completely clearing a wide-open path for another Lukashenko election victory. And it should be important to note that Lukashenko has been president of Belarus since, well, since it became the Republic of Belarus back in 1994. That's right, a man that has been in power for over 26 years and has absolutely no intention of giving that up. 
someone in the political world we call a dictator. Still, 26 years only places Lukashenko in 12th place as the current longest ruling leader in the world, with most of them ruling over many countries in Africa. But once news broke out that President Lukashenko arrested and disallowed his two main rivals from running against him, hundreds of more people, mostly young voters across several cities in Belarus, began protesting, demanding for his resignation and for fairer elections by openly supporting other candidates. This line was a show of defiance in the Belarusian capital, Minsk. People waited for hours to add their signatures to support an opposition candidate for president in a country where dissent has been suppressed for decades. So far, over 500 people have been detained, arrested and imprisoned though some speculate that number is actually much higher due to Belarus's major opposition to any kind of disorder and protest. Most of them visibly thrown in vans and held in detention centers for weeks. And you're more likely to be arrested and detained indefinitely, especially if you're a journalist. But despite running the likely risk of being thrown in jail, people have not let up. This particular protest is being called the Slippers Revolution, or the Anti-Cockroach Revolution, after popular Belarusian YouTuber and blogger Sarhei Sukhanovsky labeled Lukashenko as a cockroach that needed to be stomped out by the Belarusian people's united slipper. You see, this latest example of defiance against the government and its ruler can be attributed to the fact that a whole new generation of voters voters who have grown up under the guise of a single nationalist authoritarian ruler are, well, sick and tired of growing up under the guise of a single nationalist authoritarian ruler. And they're begging for a change, like how these protesters explain. I want to demand Tikhanovsky's release. I haven't slept a wink for two nights. This is absurd. These slippers represent our people's desire to kick out our wonderful president who's been in power for over 25 years but doesn't respect our nation, our people or presidential hopefuls. He insults them, saying they've crawled out of the woodwork. We couldn't just stay at home. I think the more people who come out to these marches in solidarity, the better it is for everyone. All right, so to fully understand what has led up to this moment, let's take a deep dive into some highlights of life in Belarus under the leadership of Alexander Lukashenko. We begin in 1994. Lukashenko becomes president of the newly independent state of Belarus. All right, well, I couldn't find any news sources on his election win in English, so let's just move on with it. The young charismatic Lukashenko won just over 80% of the vote that year. He embodied what Belarusians were looking for at the time, establishing order to the country, restoring links with Russia post-Soviet Union, lowering poverty, and dare I say, make Belarus great? Oh brother, this guy stinks! Alright, anyways, he decided the best way to achieve that would be to completely remove politicians in parliament and disband all judges from the constitutional court, and replace them with people loyal to him. In 1996, an amendment was proposed to change the Belarusian constitution, one that would essentially grant the president absolute full control of the executive and judicial branches, the Central Election Commission, local government committees, labor unions, the military and law enforcement, and especially the media. 
while at the same time taking full control of the banks, the courts, most facets of production and manufacturing, and pretty much everything else. This authoritarianism style of government has had its pros and cons in Belarus, and that's something I'll break down a little later. For now, what we know is that Lukashenko has taken full control of the country. Any political appointee, whether a senior post to the federal government, to the mayor of a small town, has to be approved by him. Now, fast forward to 2004. During his second term, Lukashenko proposed a referendum abolishing presidential term limits altogether. With nearly 80% of the vote, the people of Belarus supposedly voted yes, even though thousands of people still poured into the streets that night to claim it was a completely fraudulent vote. After all was said and done, Lukashenko quelled the protest and ensured his even tighter stranglehold on power in the country, as now his presidency can be president for as long as he wants. Well, assuming he wins the election first. Oh, and Lukashenko made sure he won every single election. While running for his third term in 2006, Lukashenko threatened to wrung the necks of anyone caught in rallies against him. Needless to say, he defeated his opponents with over 80% of the vote. Soon after, thousands protested the results, crying irregularities, intimidation, and vote rigging. Most major European organizations declared it a flawed election. And Lukashenko responded to these accusations by saying, yes, he did rig the vote, but he rigged it against himself hilariously saying he actually won 93% of the vote, but dropped it down to 86% so that it wasn't too suspicious. This is the kind of guy Belarus is dealing with. Still, no major intervention by Western institutions. Now fast forward to 2010, seeking his fourth term in office, 10 candidates decided to run against him. Two were beat up by police on election night, and seven more were arrested for whatever reason the police can think of. Lukashenko won with nearly 80% of the vote again. Thousands more protested after that night, again to no avail. Then seeking his fifth term in 2015, Lukashenko won another landslide at 84% of the vote. Even though the against all option, where people actually vote for neither of the candidates, received the most votes. But unfortunately, that doesn't count. By now, it's no surprise to see that Belarus is a country where one does not have such liberties and personal freedoms to speak out against the government, or even fairly vote for a replacement. On the flip side, and it's a very short flip side, let's see what kind of leader or all-powerful ruler Lukashenko has been for Belarus since taking power. When Lukashenko first took office in 1994, Belarus was one of the poorest countries in all of Europe. Nearly half of the population lived in poverty. By 2013, that number dropped to less than 1%. So going from nearly 50% to less than 1%, outpacing any other European and Central Asian country for the biggest and fastest reduction in poverty ever. From 2006 to 2011, when the rest of the world's economies was getting smacked by the Great Recession, Belarus actually experienced high rates of growth from the working class population. How did they manage to do this? Well, most of it stemmed from having a great trading partner in Russia. Russia would give Belarus great discounts in oil, which helped boost their agricultural and manufacturing industries. And now with all that extra money the government had, 
They used it to do something that you typically only see YouTube influencers or Drake do. And that's giving a random person $10,000 and saying nothing. Exactly. Belarus kept unemployment low by raising wages, increasing pensions, and lowering taxes for the poor, essentially giving people more money to spend. That helped lower the poverty headcount by 17% and giving Belarus a Gini index, or an index that rates a country's wealth inequality, to one of the lowest in the world. A good thing there. However, good times don't always last forever. In 2015, Belarus experienced a major recession, mostly due to the lack of state production, and with most of the economy being controlled by the state, that's a pretty big deal. Then Russia increased their prices in oil, a devaluation of its currency happened, and just overall bad investment in economic policies riddled the country of Belarus. That led to a slight increase in unemployment and an increase in poverty numbers. Then in 2017, to help fight the increase in poverty and higher unemployment rates, Lukashenko introduced a bill that literally fined people for being unemployed, calling them social parasites. Braving the wrath of Belarus's hardline president, protesters are keeping up the pressure on Alexander Lukashenko over a so-called social parasite tax on those deemed to be doing too little work. It's easy for him to say, go and look for a job. Yes, you can look for a job long and hard, but how are you supposed to live in the meantime? You have to pay for a flat, eat bread and use transport to look for a job. So this is where the rift between Lukashenko and the people of Belarus probably hit its boiling point. A major protest broke out that year to fight the Spongers tax, as how it was also known. Many saw this as a step way too far. Plus, many people were growing tired of being constantly surveillanced, getting arrested for simply expressing displeasure with the governmental authority, and simply not being allowed a basic human right that is freedom of choice. Plus, many Belarusians are also wary of Russia and Lukashenko's weird bromance boy, Vladimir Putin's intentions of one day claiming and controlling Belarus as its own. And though Lukashenko has tried to distance himself from Russia's influence and fight for the sovereignty of Belarus lately, others see his leash getting pulled tighter by the Russians. Some have expressed, though quietly, that opening up relations with the European Union would be in the best interest for Belarus in the long term. However, Belarusians still feel closer to their Russian neighbors than that of Western Europeans. Overall, Belarusians are ready to show the world that they exist, and not just under Russia's shadow. They say that in my country I don't have a name, word or voice. I feel like I'm just not here. So I decided to come out and show everyone that I exist. I have a voice. That these are all my people, my neighbors, brothers, sisters, and we exist. First of all, we care about the independence of our country and security of our country and our families. And we wish our friends, Belarusians, to have democracy, prosperity and European strivings. So to recap, a country that escaped economic calamity in the 1990s came back stronger than ever due to its powerful and charismatic leader. Poverty was greatly reduced, but at the expense of personal liberties, freedom of speech and basic journalism being labeled as dissent. Now, a ruler with over 26 years in power is yet again feeling the heat by his own people. Which brings us back to this year, 2020. The calls for regime change have gotten louder and louder over the years in Belarus. 
The popular opposition candidate, Viktor Barbayoko, a former banker that might or might not be a puppet for Russia, who knows, was arrested and barred from running against Lukashenko. Something not really new in Belarus. Opposition candidates in the past have been arrested, beaten up by police, or simply went missing just for organizing campaign rallies. Currently, the only person that stands a semblance of a chance is this woman, Svetlana Tikhavnuskaya. Yes, the wife of Sarhei Sikhanuski, the popular Belarusian YouTuber and blogger I mentioned earlier. She decided to run for the presidency after Sarhei was arrested. This is what she had to say. I had to sacrifice something for my husband and now for my country as well. We don't believe in honest elections. But I still believe that our president will understand that his time is over. People don't want him anymore. Unfortunately for Svetlana, it may be a little too little too late, as Lukashenko is still very likely to win his sixth term in office on August 9th. Now, in my humble opinion, I propose a question. What will it take to bring change to a place where nothing ever changes? That's not an easy question to answer. And unfortunately, it is not a question that will be answered in Belarus anytime soon. Lukashenko is likely to win another democratically unfair election and prolong his authority. But now, with a popular rating of a dismal 3%, and internet memes starting to spread like wildfire of him dressed as a cockroach that needs to be stomped out by a big slipper, it may just be a matter of time before Belarus experiences a major revolution. However, a more pressing issue for Belarus highly depends on their relationship with Russia, especially with Russia's own ambitious I-will-lead-until-death dictator Mr. Vladimir Putin. That relationship is off to a rocky start right now, with Lukashenko in recent days blaming Russian mercenaries for trying to get involved in their election. But it will be worth waiting to see what will happen in Belarus this decade, especially for the rest of the year as they deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. Will Belarusians be able to free themselves from a tyrannical government and leader? Will they evidently unite to fight for their sovereignty against an imperialist Russian regime? Or will they seek help from the European Union and try to become a free democratic nation? The transition of power is rarely smooth. So for now, time can only tell what the future of Belarus will look like as it hangs in the balance. One can make the assumption that the country will be hearing more of this in the near future. This was Under the Sea Bass in Belarus. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Under the Sea Bass, this episode on Belarus. As always, I give my special thank yous to my sources that I use for this episode. Articles I read from Euronews' Pascal Davies, Atiyam Shariban's very informative 2018 paper on Lukashenko uploaded to the Carnegie Moscow Center. That was great. Uh, Robert Colson from Radio Free Europe. The Moscow Times, DW News, France 24 News, Al Jazeera English. A big shout out to the BBC's Jean McKenzie doing a great undercover reporting in Belarus. And of course, trusted sources on Wikipedia. Whether you're listening to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I thank you for listening to Under the Sea Bass. Continue to share and subscribe as you like. If you have any questions, send me an email at undertheseabasspodcast at gmail.com. Until then, remember to expand your mind, join the movement, and learn all about global revolutions here on Under the Sea Bass. Talk to you soon.